Blog Talk Radio. to the December 6, 2013 Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. That's the philosophy, philosophy excuse me, <laughs> behind the uniquely American sense of life, the sense of life of those who believe we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of your own individual happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I think I can pronounce words Today, joining me here in the studio is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Today, our main story is the corrupt persecution of Apple, but we've got a lot more to discuss as well. I feel like we're doing a little catch-up after having missed the Thanksgiving week. I'm sorry I betrayed all of you guys by actually (laughs) taking the weekend off, so... Anyway, don't punish me for that, please. If you want to see all the stories that I have planned for us to discuss, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com. The top post is the post for today's show. You scroll down to the program notes and you can see all the things that I have in store. If you are listening to us during the live broadcast hours, that's Friday from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Blog Talk Radio, then you can participate live. You can do it in the chat room which I learned just the other day because I appeared on Objectively Speaking mm-hmm. with Arshak Benlian and Andrew Bernstein. And I learned that if you're listening to the show, all you do is scroll down within that same browser window and at the bottom is the chat room and you're automatically in. It was so funny because I said, how do I get in the chat room? And they said, you're already there. What? Oh, so I scroll down and I, oh, there it is. Okay. So I had been sending out links, special links to people with the chat room, and it turns out it's in exactly the same browser window if you're on your computer as when you're listening. So just scroll down in that browser window and you can join right in in the chat. Another way you can participate live is by calling. We like our phone calls. 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Seven. So let's go ahead and get started. If you notice, I've got a few links at the top, which are basically program notes. While I was playing hooky, <laughs> I came up with this idea for a new blog. Yep. And it was so funny. It was one of those things where you felt I am a GTD slacker because I had the idea for this blog and then I forgot it. And I said, oh my gosh, I had this great idea for a blog. What was it? And I'm racking my brain, my sleep-deprived brain. And I'm saying, okay, what, what was it? Oh, yeah, news sandwich. So I went and looked to see if it was taken. And newsandwich.com was taken. Somebody out there has it. But they're not doing anything with it, lamos. So I got newsandwich.net. I grabbed it. And I ran with it. And the idea is this. The idea is that people like you and me who believe that I assume if you're listening to this show that you agree with me on some level, that we need to drastically reduce the size and scope of the government, that the government is just out of control and that it is invading every corner of our lives and violating our rights all over the place. In fact, I even said, I I used a formulation in a past show, and I, I stick by it. I think that our government these days 
is doing more to violate our rights than it is to protect them. That's how I feel right now, and I think it's accurate. Anyway, if you're on the boat with me, when you look at the news on a daily basis, you see way more bad news than good news, and the bad news is often really, really bad and depressing news. So what you'd like to do is balance it out with more good news stories. And so the the whole focus of News Sandwich is to, in each post, present a good news story, then some disgusting, horrible piece of garbage, and then another good news story at the end to kind of leave you with a little bit happier, more optimistic feeling. And I try to, when I can as well, have clever transitions in between. And you can go check it out and see how well you think I've done over at newsandwich.com. I believe that there are nine posts over there so far. And I'm going to try to do it as much daily as I can, seeing how I do. It's hard to do it on a day like today with the show. And yesterday... I was working on something special that I'll tell you about in a second that that prevented me. So the other thing I put there on the program notes is a link to my appearance on Objectively Speaking. If you want to go check that out, if you missed it, I had a great time talking with Arshak and Andy. It's a little bit later in the day than I normally do the talk radio thing, but it was really fun speaking with them. So go check that out. Then I have a link to an article called Privacy in the Digital Age, and I spoke with one of the authors of that piece yesterday. Her name is Brooke Goldstein. Some of you may know her because she's been a regular guest on Red Eye. She's a Fox News contributor more generally as well, and I've really liked Brooke in the past, in particular when she speaks about Islam, Jihad, the Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah which the guys on Red Eye tease her mercilessly mm-hmm. about. They go, oh, you're going to talk about the Muslim Brotherhood again? Ha ha. It's, it's a serious issue. Islam and Jihad is a serious issue, but, you know, that, that's the, the nature of the game. And then the other thing that I like is that she is one of the few commentators on Fox, one of the few contributors there, who agrees with me about the third-party doctrine. She understands that all of this NSA snooping is being made legal thanks to the third-party doctrine, and she questions whether something should be done about that. I don't think she's quite as extreme as I am on it, but if you read that article over at American Thinker that she co-wrote called Privacy in the Digital Age, you'll see that she's quite along the lines of what I did. So what I did yesterday, after I, I spoke with her in the morning, and then I had this idea of, well, why don't I finally take my academic law review article and make a shorter version of it that could be posted on a blog, hopefully somewhere where it's going to get some traffic and and have some influence. And so yesterday I spent hours. I just sat there while the hours just melted away. I I was surprised. You know, when you're editing and you're really in, in the thick of it, it's just amazing how much time you can spend. So I spent hours trimming this thing down to a manageable size and, of course, making it more suitable for a blog audience versus an academic audience. And I've sent it off. I'm waiting to see where it gets accepted, so watch out for that as well. I put another link at the uh, below the Privacy in the Digital Age story to the Lawfare Project, which is something that Brooke Goldstein heads up. And she always talks about, well, they mention it, on Red Eye, but I never really heard about it before. And when Brooke and I were talking, I said, well, maybe you could be a guest on my show and you could talk about the Lawfare Project. That would be interesting. And she discusses with the Lawfare Project, she addresses with the Lawfare Project, the use of some people of the law as a method of warfare. And she's battling that. She's saying, you know, you should not politicize human rights 
and that's the kind of work that she does with that. So I'm interested to see what that entails, the typical kind of cases that she takes on, what she does about it. And we will have that interview next Friday for you, starting at 4.30 Eastern time. She's going to give me a half hour. She's very busy as a practicing attorney, Fox News commentator, et cetera. But I'm excited to welcome her next week. So those are the program notes that I had there. Not, I guess it's all program notes, but those are the program notes about the program. And next you see the link to Nelson Mandela dies at, at 95. That was the story from the Wall Street Journal. Basically gives a whole bio, traditional sort of op-ed material. And so I figured, you know, he, he died and he was a revered figure. So we should take the appropriate measures and have a discussion here on the show of all the things that we think are worth mentioning about the life of Nelson Mandela. Okay, now we're on to the next story. Um, U.S. employers, says the Wall Street Journal, added 203,000 jobs in November. The unemployment rate, they say, falls to a five-year low. And you may have seen some people around Facebook and Twitter, I won't name them, they have been talking about, oh, you know, the figures are good. The economy figures are good. So you got to give it to them. And, uh, yeah, things are looking up. And, boy, this is really cool. The more you look at this, the more it unravels. First of all, I mean, isn't it pathetic? But it's true. Every time we see numbers or statistics of some kind being released by our government, first reaction is to distrust them. Right. If you see something like this, Bush? Always. Yeah? Always. They release jobs data, you say, okay. It's, uh, it's, it's old-style Soviet propaganda. I mean, that's what it is. That, that's how I feel now. I mean, it, it's truly, truly pathetic. But here, here's the other thing, right? You know, every month they release these jobs data, and then you see that every month they revise the earlier jobs data. Right. They qualify it in some way. So I'm, yeah, first of all, I would never get excited about a particular month's jobs data until you give it a few months to kind of settle and see where the dust settles and what that jobs, you know, the jobs numbers actually are. And the jobs numbers in 2012 were absolute lies before the election. Did you hear about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, they, no, but they were. Officially, it's been found out. We knew that they would pull that, but it's been official. People have actually found out that it's, it's as bad as we thought it was. Oh, yeah. And, and with Obama's low approval ratings... And in particular, we'll talk about a story later that he's enjoying low approval yeah, ratings among very. millennials. And, and Hispanics. I mean, it's, it's across the board now. I, it's I, I, shocking. Think, I think, you know, they're saying, okay, we've got to get some good economic numbers out there. Otherwise, people are going to start freaking out. Now, the stock market has been doing well of late, which I don't understand at all, given that Obamacare is going to destroy a huge chunk of the economy. But I don't know how markets are reacting to this. But in any event... One thing you got to look at with this is, and what I think about when I think of jobs being added in November, I think of seasonal retail employment, <laughs> right? The other thing you have to look at when you look at a jobs number is you have to look at what is the workforce participation number. And as I understand it, the workforce participation number is still quite low. It is, in fact, 63%. So that means only 63% of the population is actually a participant in the workforce. So that, I think, makes you pretty skeptical of, of the job numbers here. Let me scroll down to the bottom of this story. And that's what you have to do with the Wall Street Journal. You have to scroll down. You'll get, you'll get the truth. 
pretty much, I think. Although the Nelson Mandela, anyway, I don't want to talk more about him, but uh, you can read it for yourself. Uh, It says, as of November, the labor force participation rate was 63% near a record low. So it's not quite the record low, but it's still near a record low. So this idea that you can say, oh, the unemployment rate is improving and it's so great, it's so wonderful. Uh, First of all, retail, seasonal retail. I wonder how much that is playing a role. Second of all, are they fudging the numbers as they have in the past? Yes. So there's that to think about as well. And then this third thing is, what is the labor participation rate? It's still near a record low at 63%. So I would not make very much at all of these job numbers. And I was already, as I said, I'm inherently skeptical when my government gives me information. And that's really a sad thing. You know, I've seen recently on Facebook a debate going on about vaccinations. The government recommended vaccination program. I think the healthy reaction is to be skeptical, skeptical. of it in a, in a certain way. So you've got to look into it. it. It's sad, though. It's sad. I mean, it used to be, I, I remember participating in the presidential physical fitness program and getting my certificate and thinking that was really cool. Today, I would just get the creeps. It's I, The attitude towards government between a Reagan presidency and this wow. presidency is, is, is just crazy. But anyway, I had my skepticism. And I've seen a couple things since that I would say help to justify or just validate my skepticism. One of them, I went over to Vodka Pundit. Vodka Pundit, by the way, was really nice to give my new blog a little plug on his blog. So thanks again to him for doing that. Uh, again, my news, news sandwich, newssandwich.net. News sandwich. Go check it out. But don't do it now because listen to the show. <laughs> But over at his uh, blog, Vodka Pundit, and, and, you know, I'm just amazed at how much he posts. He posts and posts and posts. And I don't question now why the man might want to drink a little bit of alcohol in the evening after drowning himself in all this news, although he does a lot of other cool stuff. I want to thank him today for uh, checking out the LED light bulbs and telling us which brands are the best. He, he does a lot of stuff over there. But one post that he had, it was on December 5th, it's titled, One of These Things is Not Like the Other. And he's talking about the third quarter's revised 3.6 GDP growth rate. You know, they're, they're putting all this good economic data out there. He says, he says, it sure felt nice, although I seem to remember hearing something somewhere how shutdown fears were going to destroy everything everywhere. Uh He says, what I'm finding difficult, though, is how to square the reported growth with this. And then he posts a graph, which was part of another article that he links to. And the graph talks about, in October, the orders for durable goods dropped 1.6%, and the orders for non-durable goods fell 0.2%. So if the factory orders for these goods are falling... How in the world is it that the unemployment rate is going down? Because it's Obama's propaganda. I mean, are they hiring people just to stand around when the factories aren't doing the work? I have no idea, right? So this is part of the mystery. Then I saw a story on Dredge not too long before we went on the air today. I saw this story, and it is from CNSNews.com, and it says 41% of net new jobs in November were Mm. in government. Wow. So look, we added all these new jobs. Isn't that awesome? 
I bet that. you. I bet you. I mean, this is Obama. He's so disgusting, right? Expand, um, expand, expand government. My my approval rating is down, so we got to get those jobs numbers up. So, you know, all you people in the administrative agencies who have the ability to go hire all these people. Go for it. Hire them. Yeah. And this is part, part, you know, it could be part of the expansion under Obamacare that all these people were going to be right. hired anyway for government jobs. Anyway, you cannot cheer job numbers if... 41% of the net new jobs no. are in government. 41% of a population, I don't know exactly what it is that works for, I think it's a, it's around 40 some odd percent you know, working for all the branches of all the government, including police and everything. The percentage of it, America's working for government. It is outrageous. Yeah. It's, so, it's unheard of. The, the, uh, the people in the chat room, I guess, are a little bit, what, amazed that I'm getting excited and I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not swearing as much as some people lately or, or exclaiming as much. I think you said Mark Levin is on rants lately. Yeah, he's a little like ornery. I mean, he's really, I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard the last two episodes. I was I, I was backtracking. Uh, I, had to, I had to actually skip a few minutes of a talk, which I never do. Just too bitter, too nasty. And I understand. I mean, I, I feel the same way, but you got to find a way around it. You got to actually deliver it, condemn him. And go on, not just, I don't know, there's, there's a way to do it. I, I can understand the frustration a little bit, though, because he puts this book out there, and he says, okay, here's the way. Yeah. Here's the way. Get your state legislatures going. And they are, get them to do the things are moving convention. along. Uh, there's actually something going on this, this month, this week, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess he's frustrated. That's just, people haven't embraced it as much as it could. People are actually, uh, have trashed him and said, oh, you, you just want to change the Constitution. You know, and he said, well, you know, when I meant it, I definitely do. I mean, he goes, I was actually a, a critic of this before I even got into the book, he said. But it's the only way. I mean, peaceful way, at least right now. Right. You know. and, and I think maybe the thing he couldn't realize is the extent to which we need to have a cultural, ideological yeah. revolution I think so. before even the ability to implement yeah. his plan could take place. He actually, he actually eschews philosophy to some extent, even though of late he's been actually talking about philosophy. Which well, is, and, and here's the thing. So if, if and you know, I don't know what he's doing, but I know that you put in his hands a copy yeah. of The Dim Hypothesis. He may or may not, and The Dim Hypothesis is a book by Leonard Peikoff in which Peikoff explains really where we are in terms of ideology and, maybe that's and, why, and how bad it is. Maybe that's why his attitude is worse. Well, and that's what I'm wondering, right? <laughs> it's if, like it's if, worse, if, but if also he's thinking, okay, this guy's right. There actually does need to be a philosophical revolution and in our country. And that's something he can't quite do, I, I guess, because that's not his question. He's a lawyer by profession. Yeah. And talk, talk I mean, I think he did a writer. great job of paving the way in terms of he's practically still the best. what No, he's still the best out do. there. I just, I, I was really, I, he was unlistable for a few minutes here and there the old day. And I guess it's, it's getting to him. I mean, I, look, I don't blame him. He really does it, but it is getting to him. Uh, but you just got to fight, 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 fight still. That's the whole point. And it seems like he was uh, bitching more than, more than fighting for at least near, near the tail end of his one of his shows this week. Anyway, so the, the message on this show is we are skeptical of these government that's economic a, that's data. A, that's that a euphemism. They, I mean, that is a euphemism. Skeptical yeah, is a euphemism? Absolutely right. <laughs> they're lying rats. I mean, they're propagandists. That's what they are. The CNS story here says that the 
local, federal, state, and local governments combined hired a net additional 338,000 workers in November. This equals 41% of the total reported 818,000 net additional jobs created during the month. So think about that, the 818,000 jobs. How many of those are retail jobs for the Christmas season? Yeah, exactly right. I wonder. I don't know. And then we got all those government and, jobs. And, of course, they're going to take credit for anything that comes away. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, think about it. They, they want to pretend that these jobs are real. They don't give a, a rat's ass about actual jobs and about, about the economy, but they, want to, they know that it's good for them to still sell the idea that jobs are being created in this country. They don't care if jobs are being created, but they just want to pretend because it's, you know, I mean, I mean, right now he is hemorrhaging in terms of the uh, polls. He really is. And that's, um, it's, it's, it's great to see mm-hmm. at, the, at the same time, that'll make him more dangerous. He's like a cornered dog in that sense with three years left. More, so who, more, who more desperate, more yeah, dangerous. Absolutely. Didn't you say lately? I mean, this, this is just a horror story to me. You said that he told somebody that when he retires, he yeah. wants to be a sports broadcaster. Yes, on ESPN. I mean, so he wants to make our life miserable yes, by being be there during our, our sports, he wants to ruin, sports he wants to ruin. He wants to ruin sports as well. That's what he wants. State Defiance in the chat room says, look, everyone just relax and have a donut with Uncle Chris Crispy, okay? We're saving our chocolate for the top of the hour there, but... He we... says something stupid, but what's new? <laughs> I mean... Uh, straight from the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, says Ed Powell in the chat room, quote, the civilian labor force rose by 455,000 in November after declining by 720,000 in October. Mm. The labor force participation rate changed a little. It's at 63% in November. So somebody's massaging these even in the media, no. these numbers. Oh, I mean, it's, 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 and Wall Street Journal, I guess. Would they're be on there. the same team. And Wall Street Journal, to some extent, is very uh, friendly with Obama, is very friendly with some of his policies. They are. Uh, a lot of them are, you know, are, are in favor of uh, crony. cronyism, also Washington crony, cronyism. But Drudge was reporting them, too. If you want to chime in on this, 760-888-5817 is the number. Ed Powell in the chat room says that he could give a good Mark Levin impression. Mm-hmm. Actually, a great Mark Levin impression. If you want to call up and do that, we'll, we'll listen to that. But let's go ahead and talk about the so-called featured story of the day. <sighs> featured because it's just too disgusting. It, the first story that I have linked to at my blog at don'tletitgo.com under the program notes there is a Wall Street Journal opinion piece entitled Apple's Star Chamber. But as you see from the links below that, I actually was tipped about this story from a small website called TUAW by a reader of my new blog, News Sandwich, plug, 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 uh, Michael Shapiro. He sent that story to me via Facebook. So thank you for telling me about it before. But now Wall Street Journal, which I think is good, is getting in on the commentary about this case. It is horrible. First of all, you may know that Apple was sued under, under antitrust law because of the ebook program mm-hmm. that somehow Apple you know you know how Steve Jobs went you know when he was starting first with the iPod and the iTunes and all that he went to the music companies and said hey you guys you want to stop digital piracy of music and stuff why don't you get in on this way that people can easily click and purchase music and it, it's so easy for them to use that they're going to always want to do it that way. They're not going to want to steal and try to put the MP3s on their 
digital device and all that kind of stuff. And he went around and played a little hardball in terms of negotiating the prices that they would accept and all this kind of stuff. All stuff that he is perfectly Absolutely. entitled. He had a legitimate right to do it. He's These companies don't have to take the deal. Well, no, they, can, they can be out of iTunes. In fact, the Beatles didn't even allow a lot of their music to be on iTunes for a long time. Yeah. And when they finally made that deal, and actually it wasn't the Beatles. Was it Michael Jackson who owned the Beatles catalog? I guess, even right? though he was, he was, he was absent. Some, so, you know, know, at least. But, but then you're missing out on the potential sales of this iTunes. So, you know, Steve Jobs says, hey, this is the wave of the future. I'm going to make this device so attractive to people, so user-friendly, that you're going to want your music in this library, and you're going to want to accept the price that I think you should charge per song, etc. And he did that, and people criticized it. Oh, hmm. price. Same thing with the book readers. And I think there was even somebody said, oh, you even, know. Even these, these people will sell songs and music that they never would have otherwise in that way, ever, you know, in, in that kind of legitimate way. Right. And, I mean, in these days where a lot of people are trying to downsize the number of physical possessions that they have. Right. It's a lot more attractive if you're going to buy a new book to be on an iPad on your digital device than it is to have a new physical book that you have to schlep around and find shelf space for and all those kinds of things. So it, this is just the wave of the future. And it's also convenient to take with you when you travel. You can have a whole bunch of books with you for the weight of one iPad, etc. I read somewhere that Somebody saw the iPad as a way, basically, to destroy the ebook market. I mean, there's just well, all kinds of criticism leveled at Apple. Well, but what this particular article is about is about the fact that once there was a preliminary finding that Apple had violated antitrust laws, and this is a ruling that Apple is appealing, you know, yeah, from the district true. court level. A, a judge, her name is Denise Cote. She appointed a monitor, a, a antitrust compliance monitor, and this guy's name is Bromwich. And what the Wall Street Journal reveals is that Bromwich was a friend of Cote, and Cote had written an effusive recommendation letter yeah. for him in the past. So basically, Some she appoints accent. her friend. Her friend, Bromwich, doesn't have any antitrust experience doesn't know that area of the law. So in order to do his job as a so-called antitrust compliance monitor, he has to hire another law firm that does have the experience. And so Apple, for all the quote-unquote work that Bromwich is doing, and, and if you see over at my blog, News Sandwich, what is the work? The work is making sure that the point of the, you know, the, the barrel of the government gun yep, is pointed. steadily pointed at Apple at all times. I mean, that's what this guy's doing, right? Because what is this basically doing. They're saying, well, we don't care whether you've entered into voluntary agreements with publishers. And the new Apple CEO, uh, Tim Cook, seems far more welcoming of government than oh, Jobs yeah. ever was. Oh, yeah. So he almost, in a sense, almost invited this, where Steve Jobs would have probably fought this. But they knew that Tim Cook was a hack. I mean, he went to see Obama's speech last time at the, the State of the Union. So yeah. they, they said, you know what? We, We've got him. Yeah, we, we got, got him. him. We, we got him. There, there's a crack. Let's yeah. just open it up. Yeah. And, and she's saying, you know, we don't care whether these agreements were voluntary. Mm that they were achieved on a win-win basis. I mean, here's the thing. If, if you're in a free market, I mean, who's in a really free market? But you know, if you're not actually compelled into a transaction and you say, okay, well, I'm going to pay, I don't know, $199 or whatever, and I'm going to get the new iPhone, that means that you value 
the iPhone more than the $199. Jerome Brook talks about this all the time in his free market speeches, right? Similarly, if the book publishers agree to sell their books over the iPad through Apple's iBooks market for a certain amount, that means that they value the the money that they're going to get, that amount of money, more than they value the rights, you know, to those particular copies of the books going out there via the iBooks medium, right? So they're, they're getting something presumably of more value to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't engage in the transaction. Similarly for Apple. Apple is saying, okay, we will give you a certain percentage based on this pricing. You know, we've calculated that all this is going to work. Why? Because we value doing that more right. than the alternative of not having your stuff here in the marketplace, not being able to sell it to our customers, etc. So everybody is getting something that is to them worth more than they're giving. Otherwise, they wouldn't engage in the transaction. And as you know, your own Brooks so wonderfully explains, they'd be indifferent. They wouldn't engage in these transactions. No. And yet, what does the government do? Oh, no, no, no. That's not good enough. It's unfair. It's horrible. Right? And I mean, go back. Let's jump back a second. Go to the customers. I mean, the whole thing is, oh, they're going to protect the customers from this horrible price fixing that Apple engaged in with the publishers. Apparently, first of all, the prices of eBooks went down after Apple got into the market. But the other thing is, suppose that they didn't go down. Right. People have the option. They say, look, if you're going to make eBook prices yes. basically out of my, out of my reach absolutely. such that it's better for me to go get an old-fashioned book on the shelf, yes, do that. I'll do it, you know? And and as other devices come in, you've got the the Barnes and Noble Nook that Just they sell. You've got the uh, Amazon I'm not, Kindle. I'm not, I'm not crazy about getting uh, a digital comic book that's as much money as the print version, three nine nine. I'm not crazy about it, but I want the comic. I want to read it, and that's that. I mean, it's it's, it's just. I accept it. You know what I mean? I don't have to do it. I can go get the principle. It's something physical, something real. I don't care for that anymore. It's about content, content, content. And if it's, three, if it's, if it's the same price, it, should, it really shouldn't be, though, because there's no production. There's no – I mean, I sell my books for cheaper uh, digitally right? because that's just the way it is. I mean, I'm, I'm not actually creating a book. It's just the content of it. But well, what, what you're hopefully going to see is that somebody will compete with Comixology and produce absolutely. a quality digital absolutely. platform, and, and then you'll them. see the prices go down. No doubt about right? it. I mean, I just I just saw a story in Wall Street Journal today about, and I, you know, it wasn't enough to put on this show. It was interesting to me personally because I happened to go through AT and T, but AT and T is apparently reducing the price of some of their smartphone plans due to competition that's coming in from T-Mobile and other cell phone carriers. That's what happens. You've got to have this. But what happens is, and and this happens so many times, the government, before the time that the market comes in and there's more competition, they, oh, we got to come and protect the customers. We're going to do this. Anyway, so they they come in and they say, okay, Bromwich, your job is to keep that government gun pointed at Apple, steadily pointed at Apple. And he says, woohoo, carte blanche, right? Now, first of all, as I understand it, Apple was supposed to put together an antitrust compliance plan. You know you know how they do. They say, oh, we at the government love you. You just need to put together a plan to comply with our whimsical, totally incomprehensible laws and show us that plan. And then kumbaya, you know, we'll go ahead and, you know, read it and see if we like it, you know. And if, and if, if you're appeasing to us enough and we're in a good mood, we had something good for breakfast, <laughs> then we'll say that's cool. As and, arbitrary as that. Right. I mean, it, it's, 
to- I mean, antitrust is arbitrary, Absolutely. so compliance with the antitrust is arbitrary. I mean, it's disgusting. So here's this guy, right? And really what he should be doing is waiting until the end of the compliance period and then look at their plan and, and say, yeah, judge, it meets the standards, whatever the stupid standards are that were written into the court order. No, he doesn't wait. And I mean, the, the, the compliance time is supposed to be sometime in January. This guy's appointed in October. And he says, and he's not supposed to have private meetings with the judge, but apparently he had private discussions hmm. with the judge. Of course he did. The judge is his friend. Private discussion with the judge. And the judge says, oh, you know, make sure you get off to a fast start with this or some stupid thing. So he goes there and he says, hmm, well, I'm an Apple fan. I think I'd like to meet with all the top executives of oh, Apple. No. Hey, um, as the antitrust compliance officer, I have a perfectly legitimate reason to sit down with Johnny Ive. Um, yeah. Because he's a disgusting liberal, he wanted to sit down with Al Gore. Um, you know, he wants to meet everybody, even if those people have nothing whatever to do with the supposed compliance with antitrust. But he figures that they will because he's government, that they have to meet with him, and that's it. Right, right, you know, right. And, th- and that's, that, that's the whole thing. So Apple, for its part, kudos to Apple, has been pushing back, and that's why this has been in the news this week. Apple filed a complaint into the court, and his, you know, this Bromwich's response was basically – Shut up and roll over. Yeah. I don't work for you. I work for the government gun. That's absolute um, You know, you don't like my fees. By the way, he was charging them. He has been charging them 1100 an hour, mm. plus billing them for the hours put in by the law firm that he had to hire because he's not competent in antitrust in the first place, right? So he's like, oh, I want to talk with Johnny Ive. Hell, I want to talk with Johnny Ive. And if you paid me anything close to 1100 an hour to sit there and talk with Johnny Ive, that's right. oh, my God, that'd be crazy. You would probably have to pay me 1100 an hour to talk with Al Gore. Oh I figure God. that. That's really oh revoltifying, I, you know, whatever. Oh. But he has no right to do this, and he's charging them, and then when they complain, he says, oh, my fee is per- perfectly reasonable, and, you know, you're just not used to this. And then ominously in that letter that he wrote back to them, he said something like, you know, this is the start of a long-term relationship. And it's so unfortunate that we've gotten off to such a bad start. I mean, it's unbelievable. Threat, just threat, threat, brandishing threat, that government threat, gun. threat, threat. That's all that's in there. So it, it's truly disgusting. And I, I think... Is if, that the punk right there? Yes, that's a picture yeah. of the punk right there. Yeah, if you look Jesus on the Wall Street Christ. Journal, you can see a picture of the jerk it looks like he wants to look like steve jobs yes ew uh yeah he's a stalker he's like uh jobs gone i can just i can just just fit right in i'll start designing because imagine he'll, if you know, he he'll give advice to uh, to uh, johnny ives <laughs> hey you know i think the next apple uh, iphone should be no but <laughs> the arrogance <laughs> he'll be like hey, hey johnny here's my idea for that <laughs> He, he's billing oh, Apple at an $1,100 per hour. But he'll say rate. we want to make it the, the live phone for Obama, you know, because he, you know, he's the still stuck phone. on the uh, on the BlackBerry. In his first two weeks between his hours and the hours of this other firm, they racked up $138,432.40 bill, oh, which Apple has to pay for. Apple pays for this. For the pleasure of being uh, for the for the pleasure of having the gun pointed at them and. 
you know, it's not like, for instance, that Apple has entered into a consent decree and, you know, therefore they say, okay, we can, they are challenging this actively in the court. So I agree with both the Wall Street Journal and there are other uh, journalists as well who are in the tech industry that have called for this judge, this judge Cote, to be removed from the case. Maybe get that monitor out, there. Get out of there. This, this guy is supposed to leave Apple. Just bore her. Yeah, just leave Apple to go ahead and, you know, put together this stupid plan of compliance with the antitrust and the blah, 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 and give them the 90 days to do it, and then look at their plan and evaluate it. You're not supposed to come in there, oh, let me just meet with everybody. Oh, let me just – and then when, when uh, Apple stonewalled him and said, we don't want you to meet with Johnny Ive, you have no conceivable yes. reason to meet with Johnny Ive and these other people, first of all, he went around them and, and wrote letters to the board you know, just went bypassed Apple entirely. And then the other thing that he did is he started issuing these blanket document requests, including requesting documents that had proprietary information in them. He's just got no right at all. You think this this plot was hatched while they were hanging out together, him, him and Joe, he was looking at their iPhone saying, you know what, uh, you know what I mean? Let's just <laughs> get in there and try, you know, I mean, no, but something as arbitrary, as ugly, Right. As who knows what? I mean, just they're they're, they're talking there. Hey, I got my, my 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 iPhone. I don't like this aspect of it. Maybe we can go there and you know. I mean, who knows? I'm saying it's just it's absolute arbitrary, as you say. I mean, they're just brandishing that government gun, wing it, you know, throwing it around, and uh, it's like it's just sick. You know, here, here's the judge. She's rubbing her hands oh, like no this, doubt. going, "Ooh, I've got Apple oh, before no me in it. court. Let's make them pay for being successful." Woo hoo! No doubt about it. Ah. Uh, here in the chat room, they say, now what is this here? Oh, are they talking about the the, the wages? Some of them, yeah. Some oh, that something didn't go down, it went up by 30%. I'm, I think I've lost. About the I books, the uh, books, I think. Oh, the, the prices actually did go up by 30%? Someone said they went down it. So if the pri- but even if the prices went up, again, people have a choice about this and Government doesn't have any business coming in there and forcing people. If you don't want to buy an iPad and buy books on it, don't do it. Don't and yeah, to. trust me, I look at the prices and I go, okay, that's a bit high. Yeah. And then I think, well, do I want another book on my shelf? Do I really want to read this? I like the idea that you can preview the content as well. Have the content immediately streamed onto your device. There's a lot of good things that you're paying for with that. Ed says he knows the market intimately. So if you want to call in and, and talk about it, def- definitely he's do. He's at the airport, and, and uh, he wants oh, to use the Mark Levin thing, and uh, he said he'd probably be taken away by the TSA. Oh, he made his that's Mark impression. <laughs> That's probably true, Ed. That's probably true. Yeah, Ed says, I oppose all antitrust laws completely, but one does not have to be particularly creative in realizing that Apple violated the law. Not saying the law is good, just that Apple's clearly on the wrong side of it. Mm-hmm. Eh. Maybe, maybe not. The Apple versus government, in this case, no. Uh, no, you know, governments, it, government today is up to no good most of the time. It just is. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, what is it? State Defiance says something funny here. He says... Uh, where is it? Actually, Seven says, uh, this is what happens when an industry moves faster than the government can regulate it. Yes. You know, Apple is so innovative. 
you know, it's like, oh, 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 okay, now we have to, um, a, a year later, you know, they start to, 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 to do these things. You know, Ed, Ed talks here, he says, the idea of a compliance officer or monitor is mm-hmm. an asthma to the due process of law, though. And especially in this particular case, because what the Wall Street Journal talks about is that because you have, in effect, collusion between the judge and this monitor, compliance officer, that person is supposed to be engaging in fact-finding, and the judges are not supposed to be doing that. That's a prosecutorial function, and so this is another reason that it's uh, abusive and corrupt. But I would say that any antitrust case is by its nature going to seep into corruption because there aren't objective standards in antitrust. And yeah, you can say, okay, well, whatever's described in the antitrust laws, this is probably a clear case of it, but it's a huge continuum. And then on the other end, you'd say, okay, well, if they set their prices too high, if they set their prices too low, whatever it is, they're screwed. And uh, if you go back to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, I have uh, some quotations from Ayn Rand, thanks to the Ayn Rand lexicon on antitrust. And Uh, Rand wrote this in 1962. She says, the antitrust laws, an unenforceable, uncompliable, unjudiciable mess of contradictions, have for decades kept American businessmen under a silent, growing reign of terror. Yet these laws were created and to this day are upheld by so-called conservatives as a grim monument to their lack of political philosophy, of economic knowledge, and of any concern with principles. Under the antitrust laws, a man becomes a criminal from the moment he goes into business, no matter what he does. For instance, if he charges prices which some bureaucrats judge as too high, he can be prosecuted for monopoly or for a successful intent to monopolize. If he charges prices lower than those of his competitors, he can be prosecuted for unfair competition or restraint of trade. And if he charges the same price as as his competitors, he can be prosecuted for collusion or conspiracy. There's only one difference in the legal treatment accorded to a criminal or a businessman. The criminal's rights are protected much more securely and objectively Mm. than the businessman's, end quote. And that is true, and that is what we see here. If we saw... For instance, a parole officer of a real criminal treating that criminal the way that this monitor is mm. treating Apple, Absolutely. the so outrage the outrage that you would have across the liberal media is disgusting. But here, finally, I, in, at least in the opinion section of the Wall Street Journal, we see that. There was also a, a good story that I linked to again in my news sandwich, that controversial news sandwich for December 3rd. There's a story at a website called TU. A-W. The good news at that Good News Sandwich, of course, was the awesome Apple, I mean, not Apple, Amazon drones, the yeah. potential drone deliveries that are going to come as well, which is good. Um, oh, actually, no, that's a different, oh, that's a different story. That's a different good news story. No, that's, sorry. Well, that, that, that's a good news story. Though, that was a good news story, but that's not the one that I had in, in the controversial news sandwich there. The controversial news sandwich is when I said that it was good that there was still a bunch of information that Snowden right. revealed right. to the press that the more. press hasn't yet published. Right. And that that information, in effect, I think could still be used to call attention to the problem of our overreaching NSA. They said 1% of it. I think, point. again, yeah. I think what Snowden did was good. Yes. Uh, I actually could say you could describe him as heroic. It was interesting because Goldstein yesterday was talking to me and she said, well, you know, that there are some things that, 
they published as a result of him that actually did name some personnel in Iraq and put them in danger. Some of the Iraqi personnel who are cooperating with yeah. Americans or something. And yeah. first of all, I would say pro- probably that was not Snowden's design. It might have been a mistake. So I- I'm not going to take away from what Snowden did by looking at a little bit of a mistake that yeah. he may have made. Say, okay, well, he didn't do it 100% also, perfectly. It's not our re- job to, uh, yeah. to protect Iraqi soldiers who sometimes turn on us and shoot us in the head. Right, but yeah. I mean, it, it would be better yes. if yes. they hadn't leaked those names, if, yes. if indeed that's true. I haven't seen a link to a either. story. But even if there had been some names linked, I, I would say from what I know, it's inadvertent on Snowden's part. I don't see him as maliciously trying to I don't think so. put our armed forces or some of these Iraqis in danger. I don't think so. No, not at all. So at best you'd say it's inadvertent. He didn't carry off his thing perfectly. But then again, he's been on the run. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I just don't blame him at all. I think he's good. So I think the controversial part is defending Snowden. But the, the, uh, the bad news, of course, was the, you know, was Apple being treated this way. And, you know, ironically, in his response to Apple, one of the things he said to them is that the 1100 an hour fee that he charges them is essential so that he can, quote, earn a profit. That's what he said? Oh, yeah. He, he, he has to earn a profit while pointing that and government he, and he gun. he put it that way? Yeah, earn a profit. <laughs> he he earn had a to profit earn a profit. For what? Yeah. No, but for what? For his work. What What work? Yeah. No, but what work? Hanging out with Al Gore and, uh, Al Gore and Johnny Ive, right? <sighs> No, him and and that bimbo plotted this scheme, you know, and they were probably cackling. They probably were, were cackling. Maybe, maybe they even have blackberries, you know. Like, you know, let's go to Apple and mess, you know, kick some garbages, you know what I mean? Just just go in there and open the doors and kick some kick, stuff down. Kick over a garbage can. Yeah, and just let, let, you know, know, let's F with them a little. Well, this is the thing. This is one sto- thing that this story made me realize, that if you're familiar with Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, there is a character called the wet nurse. Mm-hmm. And all I'm going to say about that is that the wet nurse is an anachronism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I learned that, I think, by thinking about this story, because what you've got here, here's this court-appointed monitor, compliance monitor of antitrust. And, of course, this person's going to be a sleazy, disgusting slime ball. By nature. Who thinks he's entitled to, to sit down with the Johnny Ive? Got some interesting sounds coming through here. Yeah, it's like the water drops. I I don't know. It's it, it's it's the uh, what do you call it? The um. It's Skype. something. It's something to do with Skype. But yeah. are people pinging my Skype while this is on? That's pretty lame if they're doing know. it. I don't know. Everyone can hear me, right? Now what's going on here? There's. I don't uh, know. Okay, that, that was from Big. Oh. <laughs> the Big Lebowski. People are. Not actually swearing at each other in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio, but they are well, using the various character keys along with letters you, you that can, suggest swearing. Yes. As Robert notes, uh, you can almost you can forgive the wet nurse. I mean, he's a young punk. This yes. Guy, this guy's what in his fifties. He's got least? over twenty years of experience. Of experience in monitoring what? companies who have My done God. bad things, like try to make a profit for themselves. That's the bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, apparently that's a bad thing. So what I just want to say is uh, kudos to Apple for challenging this. I wish Apple the best in getting this judge removed from the case. I would like to see more voices in the bigger 
mainstream media chime in and call for the removal. Yeah, but there's there's uh, there's a judge. hate Apple thing going on. You know that. It, it is. I mean, it's across the board. Whenever they release something, it's like they they mock the iPad. They mock this. It's just Apple was cool when they were you know, the underdog, but now, now that they're, they're just, so too big. You well, know? and and also I think again, you know, Steve Jobs is not around to no, defend them. No, he's not, and he would have. Uh, he was, you know, he was he had his he had his flaws, but he was a pretty damn principled guy, and he did not like, for at least when I gather, government trying to come in and push things around. Seven six zero eight 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 five eight one seven is the number if you'd like to call. If you want to talk, then you also need to hit a button that Block Talk tells you about when you call in. I think it's number one or something like that. Robert NYC in the chat room here at Block Talk Radio says Apple was cool when Jobs was alive, but no more. Well, it's still his products. The the iPhones are his. You know, they still are, and there are still things probably will be released. In the next next few years, that's he still has his touch on it. I'm to still looking extent. forward to see what they're going to be able to do with Apple TV. Yeah. I think that could be really cool. I hope that he had some ideas that he I, left. I mean, he, you know, he spent years. I mean, I mean, before the uh, before the you know iPhone. I mean, the idea was to have an iPad before the iPhone, and the iPad was a test run to see how they could do the iPad. So this is years in advance. So who knows? Who knows what's coming? But it'll still have, I think, his touch. Something. So I think for a number of years, and after a certain point, then we'll probably see a decline, a natural decline, unless they, they find someone great. We'll see. Anyway, I will always volunteer my services for the moral defense of Apple to Absolutely. do what it does best, which is make products that make them excited. I mean, I, I, loved, oh, yeah. I loved reading about Steve Jobs' philosophy oh. of work. He didn't make products because, oh, he did a public opinion poll and he thought yep. that people might like this. He thought, Passionate about what, yeah, what is it that I would really love to have yeah. what and kind of phone that I, I can show people is so cool that I will create demand for it. Absolutely. They, create something that didn't exist necessarily prior to that. And that's the whole thing. And uh, it was the, the passion there was so obvious, even when they did the whole sales point. You know, people think it's, it's a show. These guys love it. I mean, you, you could tell when they make their presentations. That they're very little, excited. Some of them are a little nervous too because it means so much to them. You could tell. Oh yeah. But John was very natural about it. I mean, he was passionate about it, you know. But it is, it's great. I mean, it's it's a great thing, and the, they made it a whole. It was like a whole event, also. You know, I don't know. If, I mean, I guess history has had some of those things, but not in not in our times. I mean, every time you saw it, it was like, wow, something was great. Something great is here. Remember, remember, I went on the day when they first released the iPad, yeah. and I think I had made like a pre-reservation or something. I had bought it and then was going to go pick it at the store. And I thought, oh, there's going to be a big long line. There really wasn't. I think people didn't get that excited at the beginning. Because there was nothing, it never existed before. I mean, people, phones people knew and it's like, whoa, that's a cool phone. What's this? iPad, it's a type of computer, but not quite. Oh, yeah, you know. and I remember people made oh, fun yeah. of it like it's a maxi pad or and something. And now, you know, the sales have been, you know, this year, especially holidays, have been crazy. I mean, incredible sales because it's great. I'm, tr- it's, it's I'm trying great. to resist the urge to upgrade my iPad. I think I'm going to wait another year, and I think I'm going to be able to. The iPad Air is supposed to be great. I light. know. It's big and light. I know. It would be Thin, awesome. beautiful. It would be awesome, but I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist. So here in the chat room, yeah, Robert Nasir says that Apple is too big to be allowed to succeed. Yeah, that's apparently what they think, and they just feel like they want to smack them around a little bit yep. for fun. Yep. Because they can. Absolutely. You know? I mean, it's as, it's as ugly as that. 
<laughs> Will Samsung get their own government mole too? Asks seven two five two one because they copy everything Apple does. Right. If they're lucky, they can have Bromwich's clone. That'd be awesome. Right. Or just you know, <laughs> Bromwich. I'm hoping he's gonna get fired from this case. Maybe he can go over to Samsung and beat them around a little bit. Matt says that he found himself in the uncomfortable position of having having to defend Apple against all of his droid friends who are scoffing at intellectual property. Oh my gosh, look at this. All of my callers were just dropped. Yeah, and there was one actually with a question mark. And I was just about to pick up the one, and both are dropped. Sadness. Call back if you can. I'm sorry if you got dropped. Probably you can't hear me if you got dropped. That's terrible. I hope they call back. That's weird. That is very strange. I hope people didn't get dropped from the show entirely and that they're still listening to us, Bosch. What do you think? What do you think? I'm sorry. What do you think? Are they still listening? Uh, I hope so. Okay, I hope so. Let someone just uh, make a note. Yeah, tell us if you can still hear us, people, because we saw two callers, boom, get dropped at the same time, and we think something's going weird over here at Blog Talk. Loud and clear. Woohoo! Obamacare, the reboot. Yay! Yay! Over there at Vodka Yay. Pundit. Vodka Pundit. Sort of, sick. He he sort of took one for the team, sort of I say, because last Sunday when they were doing the reboot of the website, he went ahead and went on to healthcare.gov, essentially licking the floors of a public bathroom. That's like the computer equivalent of licking the floors of the public bathroom. That's what somebody in the comments said. I thought that was perfect. You know, some people are saying they would never go to healthcare.gov on any computer. I hear that more and more, and I, I love that. I love that because uh, they won't they won't get what they want. I mean, they won't, and they'll have to do they'll have to make their threats, and who knows what they're going to do. But people are not going. Yeah. Those who have gone won't won't go back even. No, no, people won't go at all. And you know, he describes it like so many other people describe it, and I talked about it at my blog over at News Sandwich. But you know, he's saying it's still glitchy. He didn't have the crashes. Apparently, CNN went on and said, hey, let's see if it's good, way, and so it crashed for them. A journalist asked uh, Carney uh, if Obama has signed up yet, and he goes, uh, not yet. I said, why not? This is <laughs> signature legislation, right? That's right. Why not? He, Obama, 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 Obamacare is too good for him. I mean, that's, right? that's what it is. He, he, he should be signing up. You know, That's all there is to it. Um, somebody in the chat room, by the way, before we go on to the story, this is an interesting question. Why does the judicial left hate Apple while the public left adores them? And the I'm public lo- left has, has no power to to swing around to some extent, uh, whereas uh, you know the lawyers, leftist lawyers, are always looking for some kind of crusade against something. I mean, always. Yeah, and I'm wondering if it has to do more with the intellectual property issue. Possibly. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking as well. That that they resent the intellectual property rights of someone like Apple that's making them rich, and <sighs> we'll see. <laughs> State Defiance says, can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, we, we can We can read you. Excellent. We have got the caller back, and I don't know what happened. We'll find out. Hi, who's this? Oh, hi, Amy. This is, my name is Pratik. Pratik, oh, hi. How are you? Hi. I'm very good. Uh, I just had a comment about uh, Steve Jobs. Okay. So, you know, if you look up on YouTube, there is a video uh, of Steve Jobs presenting the design for the new Apple building. Uh, he was presenting that to the uh, Cupertino Council people. And those guys, they were asking him all kinds of stupid questions, like um, how do we know that the building will be fire safe, that the employees will be safe, and you know stuff like that. And at one point he says that, you know what, guys, if you don't like our building, uh, we can always you know, have this building done in Mountain View. 
We are yes. Cupertino's largest. Yeah. <laughs> he says we are Cupertino's largest um, taxpayer. And if you don't like us, we could just move the Mountain View. Right. I, you know, I watched that video, and of course it was kind of bittersweet because I mean I loved everything that he said during that, the way he handled himself. But he was really ill. That was one of the last appearances yeah. that he made, if I recall correctly. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty late. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, you know, he had right. a presence. I mean, yeah, I know it was it was excellent. I, I mean, he was good, and I think I think you're right. Maybe what I'm uh, getting from you is that you want to tie that into the idea that he would fight against yeah. the government I now he if he was alive, and this Bromwich was trying to push him around, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. From what I gather, he just didn't take shit. I mean, he just didn't do it. Yeah, and, and, and again, I, I've got to dig up that old video. We've got to find that clip, Bosch, but it's a, it's like an hour-long interview, oh, yeah. and somewhere about halfway through it, I can't remember how far in, the interviewer asks him, he says, well, you know, you've got a lot of power. Don't you feel that you have responsibility to give back or something like that? And he, like Steve Jobs has looked at him all puzzled. What do you mean by power? And he mean oh, you know, you're successful, so you have economic power and you yeah. have a duty. All the usual tripe that yeah. they throw at businessmen. And Jobs completely rejected it. He said, we provide a value. We, you know, do these products. And I feel basically that my job is to go out there and provide the best value for the customer dollar. You know, he didn't say exactly that, but this is Amy, essentially Amy, this is what, what they said. did. The councilwoman, she asked him if they would be providing free Wi-Fi to the neighboring areas. That's what she asked him. <laughs> Oh, man. And, yeah, it wasn't if, so know, much of an interview. It was uh, him presenting to a whole uh, audience. Of course, there were there were the councilmen, but there was also an audience. Right, right. Well, I mean, everybody. If if you knew that Steve Jobs was going to appear anywhere and oh, give yeah. any sort of a talk, you would show up. Oh if yeah. You could. yeah, yeah. I I, de- I definitely would have done it. So he was a great man. He he was excellent. Anything else, Pratik, before we go on to our wonderful yeah. leader Obama? Uh, that was the thing. Thanks for having me. Okay. Yeah, thanks, th- th- thanks for calling in, definitely. And like I said, at the same time that he got knocked off, a- another caller got knocked off. So feel free to call back in. I think the other caller was maybe just listening, maybe had to go. But 760-888-5817 is the number. So back to Obama and Obamacare and the healthcare.gov reboot. <sighs> oh, my gosh, it's so boring, right? What do you expect? They say, oh, it's so much better. Well, it's kind of better. It crashed for CNN, which is always funny if it crashes for the, the liberal media. It's better than the worst website in the history of uh, the Internet? Is that, it's better than that now? You know, I would say it's probably got to be one of the worst websites in the history of yeah, the Internet. I think Somebody so. said, and it's I can't remember. Government I, made. You know, I've read little bits and pieces here and there, and I can't really, I'm sorry, people be bothered too much to remember exactly where I got everything that I read. But one of the things that I read, and it could be here in Vodka Pundit, is that this website has 10 times the amount of code in terms of lines of code than does that's Facebook. Government. No, that's government that does for Facebook. you. Excess, 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 fat, 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 unnecessary beyond belief. That's, right. that's government. Right. I mean, just talk about waste. And, you know, one of the things that I loved about this Vodka Pundit review is when he talks about, uh, you know, he's going there 
and the the vaguely ethnic smiling woman is no longer there, so that's right. an improvement. Right. <laughs> hey, I, I love. I mean, this is this is how I think he keeps himself from drinking. Really, yeah. is is by all of his witticisms, and and I keep thinking, you know, in my new sandwich blog, right. If I got to be a really witty writer like him, maybe I wouldn't have to put those good news stories in there. And then I thought, well, why not have two good news stories? And And if I become a witty writer, I could do witty writing and give you the two good news stories. I mean, mean, part of the good news is mocking the bad also. Oh, yeah. And then just exposing it, how stupid it is. Well, and, and showing the good side of the bad and all that good stuff, too. But... You know, he, he goes into the whole idea that everybody's scared of healthcare.gov, that they all do believe it's the equivalent of licking the, <laughs> licking the floor funny. of a public bathroom. I like that. That's a very good uh, analogy. It, I mean, visiting it is the computer equivalent of that, right? Very good. Who knows what's going to get? Yeah. It, and, and, you know, Vodka Pundit wasn't able to find Robert out. Robert mentioned Chris Christie. I have to have a piece of chocolate. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it is that time, isn't it? Now from a word... For our, for, eater, our, for our sponsor. Eating. Chris Christie, a.k.a. Eater Eating. You said Chris Christie said something bad this week, right? Yeah. Give me, give me some chocolate. I don't know what it was. It doesn't matter. He always said something bad. It was something stupid, right? Something very stupid. Yeah. Something very, uh, you know. <laughs> so bad. That stupid thing that Christie says was really stupid? Yes. Yeah. Very, very stupid. I mean, it was just so stupid. The chocolate that we're having today is again. Are we boring? I don't think so. It is. Oh, this chocolate? Mm-hmm, Excellent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The boring one, I don't like. This is Intense Dark Sea Salt Soiree by Ghirardelli. Oh, that's excellent. And it is yummy stuff. It's got chocolate, sea salt, and roasted almonds. It's Uh-oh. delicious. And now it's on the floor. It fell, <laughs> it fell in my mouth. That's terrible. What are you looking at? I'm, I'm trying to see the Chris Christie quote. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe you're going to school. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't everyone have a piece no, of chocolate if, that, if, if that, it's nearby? That stupid thing that Chris Christie said was really stupid. Very stupid. Okay, let's go. And uh, the name of the story is called Shut Up, Chris Christie. <laughs> You're listening to Don't Let It Go Unheard. And no, we don't just eat chocolate and talk about Chris Christie saying stupid things the whole time. We are now starting our second hour of the show. In the first hour, we tried to defend Apple against the horrible, disgusting antitrust enforcement that is being perpetrated upon them by the joint efforts of a corrupt judge and her friend, Michael Bromwich. Can I just quote mm-hmm. uh, Christy? Okay, quickly. Uh, goes, I'm not eating more chocolate. He goes, um, there are um, uh, two places. Oh, sorry. Is that me or Christy? I don't know. Yeah. There are two places that if I were the ultimate ruler of the world that I would love to get rid of, uh, Christy, uh, a.k.a. eater eating, as I call him, yeah. said during a recent visit to Arizona, one is that bank of microphones that apparently is outside the House of Representatives and the United States Senate, where they all come to pontificate. He loves using that word. He always mocks people. He always mocks people who are expressing ideas. And what does he think he's doing while he's doing that? <laughs> exactly yeah. right. Okay. Well, he's eating. Uh, he goes, the most dangerous 10 yards of Washington, D.C. Oh, man. And this guy wants to run, run the whole town. You know? Yeah. He wants to run it. No. I think it's good to let those legislators come out there and say whatever the hell they want. And what I mean, we are if, gaining, if we we are gaining also, information about the people ge- who have if we power. We have some decent journalists challenge yeah, them yeah. every day. But in his mind, challenges are just, uh, you know, people just getting in my way. It's disgusting. Anyway, so kudos to Vodka Pundit. He went over there, he 
rooted around on the website for a while. He couldn't get the full information. Why? Because you cannot get complete information about your so-called health insurance options unless you put in all your personal information. And if you think browsing there is like, you know, licking the floor or whatever, I would say that putting your personal information at healthcare.gov is like licking the inside of the toilet bowl at the public restroom. So it's uh, really disgusting. So I don't don't blame him at all. An unflushed one, sorry. But then I've got to find you the line of this review of the new healthcare reboot that I thought was the best. I like the title too. It's fine. The reboot. Yeah. Like, now it's good. <laughs> well, and he did. He compared and it. And it just came out. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, the Obamacare website just just began, and it already needs a, re- a reboot. <laughs> I mean, usually it takes a few years, at least a decade, for reboots. <laughs> That's hilarious. It, it's really bad. But what I loved was his little line here. He says. My insurance options remain a riddle wrapped in a subsidy smothered <laughs> in regulations. That's right. That's good. So a riddle, why? Because you have to put in all of your personal information to see your so-called options. Right. Wrapped in a subsidy. Wow. And this is the part that I really hammer a lot because he said everywhere he went on this site, he was encountering Offered, right. all cap, all cap invitations what? to decide, you know, find out whether he was eligible for a subsidy or maybe eligible to be added to the expanded Medicaid program, right? Yep. I have concluded, based on my non-research, I, <laughs> I researched vicariously through Vodka Pundit and other people, that that website is not designed at all. It is not designed to let you know what your insurance options are. No. He said that it's without 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 that. putting that personal personal information in, you could get a little bit of information. But they say, well, of course, we can't really tell you what all your options are unless you put oh, your information. Right. And and hey, apply for this subsidy in the blo-. The whole purpose of this site, and I'm going to say it over and over, the whole purpose is to get you on a government subsidy or a completely government-funded single-payer healthcare program like Medicaid. They want to get you as many people as possible onto Medicaid. That's the whole purpose of this So I think about this also, and uh, they assumed everyone would do it out of fear of government because they've been trying to push us the last few years, and they're shocked probably now. Like, oh my God, they're not as afraid of us as we thought they would be. Not everyone ran to the site and signed up, and that's it. Right. Now we're going to have to actually sell it somehow. And and we hear that a lot of millennials aren't doing it either. No. Right? And, and, you know, the millennials right now, quote-unquote millennials, I hate that term. Some liberal probably created it. Uh, they're very unhappy with Obama. Yeah. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. They're sick we are that. We are going to talk about that later. Yeah. But, but the good thing in this context is that even they, who supposedly they're liked sick Obama, of them. I think only a third of them said that they would actually sign up for health insurance, yes. which is awesome. Which yeah, is why, like, I don't need it. What, what yeah, which is, is why Obama sent out that stupid video just before Thanksgiving, saying, "Get <laughs> get ready to have the talk." He's trying to oh, dictate. Man. He's trying to tell you what you should talk about over Thanksgiving. I was almost throwing up. So let's not let's not go on that again. Any but, and, any homicides when people try to talk about uh, Obamacare at a family table? You know, what I mean? you know I, I'd like to see about that, but I yeah. didn't. I didn't see any follow-up news possible, stories possible. about that. But yeah, so that was Vodka Pundit's review of the reboot of healthcare.gov. And you can also, if you go to my program notes at don'tletitgo.com, find not only that, but then my post, The Pigs Fly, A Good News Story at the Top of Dredge, where I talk about that. And then I also talk this about this issue of you know, this website is such a disaster. There's so many glitches. People are afraid of it. 
I mean, a vast majority of people in polls say that you should be very concerned about the security of that website, the security of the personal information you put in that website. And so I see this as another instance of something that I talked about a few months ago with regard to the Utah Data Center story. The Utah Data Center, we saw reports of it literally going up in flames meaning that fires were spontaneously starting at the Utah Data Center because the government hired electrical engineers could not properly do their job and design the facilities to accommodate these huge servers that are going to collect, what was it we learned about the other day? I love how they released this the other day. It was like 5 billion records of cell phone location data collected daily Mm. by the NSA, Americans, you know, location all around the world. That's truly revolting. Everything's adding up, though. I mean, every, everyone is just... Yeah. So, so they, they put all this in this huge computer, and they don't know how to manage this. And what I see is I see this is a huge example of the unity of the virtues. And this is a thing that we talk about in philosophy, where you can't just practice one of the virtues without a context, right? You can't just say, oh, well, I'm going to be very rational and very productive, and I'm going to make this beautiful Utah data center that's going to handle all of these millions and billions of records. What is it, like the Library of Congress amount every day they collect about us? Or I can't remember how much it is they collect about all of us. It's just, it's it's like when they talk about, you know, the, the national debt. And they give you the huge stacks of the dollar bills and they show you mm-hmm. the, you know, here's a tiny little guy. Here's right. the Statue of Liberty. Here's right. the huge stack of bills. That's the debt. The when, when you think about the, the vast number of records of data that are collected about us, but it's only metadata. Yep. Um, it's mind-numbing. It's my, but, you know, the guy says, yes, I will be rational. I will be productive. I will make this beautiful Utah data center. It will work perfectly. No, you won't. No. Because you are doing something unjust. You are doing something that you have no business doing to the American people. Right. And the principle of unity of virtue says, if you aren't practicing justice, then, sorry, Charlie, you are not practicing the other virtues, including rationality and productiveness, fully to the extent that yeah. you can either. You can't so have I'm good not people su- there. I mean, yeah. you, it's impossible. So I'm not surprised. You know, you see these stories about the back end of healthcare.gov is a disaster. That's one headline that these I saw. These people that are the, unethical. You know, the, the code is 10 times as voluminous as the code over at Facebook, and that there's all these glitches and that it crashes and that people are suspicious about the security of it. Um, there's no actual security like no. some place was saying that there's no real security provisions exactly. on it exactly. i mean it's it's disgusting but you're not surprised why because they are doing something horribly unjust yep. and and like i said whereas at the beginning i was thinking okay it's terrible that they're coming in and controlling the health insurance industry but it's more nefarious than that this whole website is going to collect your personal data and try to push you into government subsidized healthcare program before the Republicans can turn around and get elected in 2014 and know what hit him. You know? Exactly. It's going to be the other. One thing Um, also, when when Obama said the other day, he felt he had to say it, uh, it will not be repealed as long as I'm president. That's a fearful comment. I love that he felt he had to say it. Well, I no, mean, I love that he felt he had to say it because uh, he's scared. Again, again. Even he's like, not my baby. He's even, old, you know. even if it was repealed, I think the fix is in. I think the fix is already in. We'll but see. That's just, that's just me. That's pretty simple. Hi, who's this? Hello? Maybe they, they didn't tell Hi, Amy. This is, this is Mike. Mike. Are Mike. you a first-time caller? Yes. Or did you intend to call? Okay. 
Well, welcome to the show, and what can we do for you? Uh, well, it's just uh, this is the, the first time really I've been able to call into the show. Usually I'm listening to it uh, by uh, podcast, which I subscribe to, which are awesome. Cool. Uh, Thank you. And uh, I'm, I follow both of you guys on uh, Twitter, and I, that's how I've become a huge fan of Bosch through uh, Twitter and listening to you guys on the podcast. And Bosch, just keep what you're doing on Twitter, man. It just rocks. There's, there are so few people venting that that righteous anger about. I appreciate well, about the about the evil and how to fight it. And uh, I really appreciate it. It's really sort of heartening and inspiring in a way. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate and uh, oh, sure. And uh, the what you were talking about. Uh, about Obamacare and what the real goal of it is. I guess that's what really spurred me to call. Okay. Because people people just don't see what's coming. And the whole point of it is to get everybody into into Medicaid, which is single payer, and then it'll just transform, pardon the, yep. pardon the use of the word, into into what they all wanted the whole time, and that is one gigantic single payer. And, right. Uh, you try and explain it to people, and they look at you like you're talking Chinese or something. But yep. it's like, you know, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but, you know, if you don't see this coming down the road, you're, you're, you either want it to happen or you're an idiot or both, in my opinion. Well, and, and so much of it is listen to Obama, listen to Obama, listen to Obama. Obama has said in his speeches, he said, if Congress doesn't act, I will. Yep. And then everybody sees him act, and then they start finally saying, okay, God, this guy is acting without Congress. I think he's going beyond his constitutional authority. Yes, and even that liberal uh, lawyer said it the old day. Right, right. His basic constitution was supposed to protect us from people like Obama. This yeah. Is, that, that must Pe- be a shock people, people are starting to see that. And similarly, when he gave that speech where he was being called to the carpet about if you like your plan, you can keep it, and he was trying to explain himself. And, you know, of course, oh, he didn't do anything wrong, Well, right? he lied about his lie. But the one thing he did during <laughs> that speech is, is he says, you know, everybody's seeming to forget this wonderful thing, which is the right. victory so far. And, and he, you know, I can't believe people aren't paying more attention to this. He said that he's got nearly 400,000 people already enrolled in Medicaid due to the Medicaid expansion. And that was, you know, weeks ago. Can, so I, can I just say though, about that? He, he's drawing attention to it. I say everybody should listen to him. And people are now starting to listen to him. But, but I, he wouldn't have mentioned that. If it went according to his plan, he wouldn't want to reveal that. You know what I mean? But he had to. He had to some kind of good news, quote unquote, good news. You mean or no? So I he guess. Had to, he had to right. pull that out, right? Because he doesn't want people to really say, "Whoa, whoa, 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 what's this guy doing?" But he felt he had to because he had to have some kind of some kind of success, even though it's not, of course. Right. I mean, maybe he started gloating a little bit too soon yes. about it. I don't know. Yes. But pe- people are finally starting to come around and get the picture. But the thing is, is that I didn't understand either. We all heard. We all heard that there was a Medicaid expansion under Obamacare, but we really didn't think that much of it. The governor. And, yeah. you know, and yeah, we knew that there were subsidies, but we, did, but we didn't realize, you know, we actually sort of took them at their word a little bit that their point was, well, they were going to regulate the health insurance industry. They were going to give us plans that were, weren't really health insurance. They're so-called health care plans where you prepay for your health care and you pay way higher premiums than before. Yeah. And it's going to destroy the health insurance market. And we all saw that the progression to single payer was going to be destroy the health insurance market because of these controls, the fascist regulatory controls on the health insurance market. And then the health insurance market will collapse, and then they'll swoop in, and right. then it'll be single, single pair. 
But now that I see the way that these websites are operating and the fact that more, you know, I've got this one story that I've posted to you we were going to talk about next, which is that the state of Washington has enrolled almost nine times as many people in Medicaid as in private plans. Nine times. So this, this information is starting to come in that the enrollment numbers in Medicaid are huge. Yes. And, and between the way that the site is designed to get everybody onto subsidies, onto Medicaid, as soon as possible, you start to say, whoa, it's not going to be this weird indirect progression to single payer. You know, they're trying to put one over on us. Yep. The, the put one over on us is that, look, they're getting them straight onto these plans. So, but I, I feel stupid that I didn't see it sooner, but I felt like I've definitely been a little bit ahead of the curve with respect to other That's people. Of course, I, have, I don't have the audience of these other people, so... I can't get the warning oh, no, out there. Yeah, you know, people, people like you and you and Bosch, and, and uh, I'm I'm a, also a subscriber and listener to Tammy Bruce, and I know you guys have become oh, yeah. uh, friends. And, uh, yeah. and, and and Tammy has been talking this ever since the debate in Congress over the bill, and uh, it's uh, and, and 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 like you said, the 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 road to single payers become a lot more clear since all the exchanges are, are quote-unquote open, and the whole point is to get everyone in the state exchange, and the state exchange is Medicaid, and that's single-payer already. And then, so I, I, I get your point to where you were saying it's not, it, it wasn't as clear as it is now, because now, because now in a way all the, 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 the roadblocks are cleared and the path is really open for everyone to see what's coming and what the what the object of this really is well and and it's not it's not that it's just coming and and here you know Bosch was saying just before I picked up your call Mike he says boy you're sounding real cynical and horrible the fact of the matter is is that it's not that it's coming it's it's here so let me read you this it says it says through the first two months of enrollment we've been through two months now since October 1st unfortunately it says health plan finder which is Washington State's Healthcare Exchange. It has enrolled 176,468 Washingtonians in coverage. Over 91,000 of those are newly eligible for expanded Medicaid, and more than 66,000 were currently eligible but not enrolled. That leaves only 18,131 residents who purchased private policies. That's scary. That's really, really scary. So, uh, I, you know, this is just a funnel. You know, we, we talked about, uh, and, you know, Tammy's talked a lot about this before, and I, I don't think I've done that much speaking about it, but we've mentioned it a little bit, about food stamp programs and Obama's efforts to get more and more oh, people yeah. dependent on food stamps. This is just a huge health care stamp program, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and yeah. and that that's what it is. It It, it has nothing to do with letting everybody know about their health insurance not. options or or expanding the pool so that health insurance is affordable for people. No, it's, it's the, getting, the, the them, is getting the, them on the, the door. fundamental transformation of America, as he said, as he warned us, as he threatened us five days before the election in 2008. Yeah. You know, that was his point, and he's done it to some extent. But what I'm saying is the cynicism that I mentioned is this can be fought. We can fight. We don't have to accept evil. We can get, I mean, you know, as... As, as Thatcher put it, she goes, I'm in politics because of the conflict between good and evil. And I believe that in the end, good will triumph. I believe that. 
I right. believe that. I no, mean, I and, think and, there is... And I, I believe that good will triumph as well. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't keep doing what I'm doing here. But what I'm saying is that we have already had put in our path a huge obstacle. And that obstacle... Here, here is this, Mike. I don't know, you know, where you come from exactly. Maybe are you sort of conservative-ish, libertarian-ish? What, what do you describe uh, uh, yourself? Well, I, I, uh, for a, I, I was a registered Republican uh, for my whole life since I was 18. My first, uh, my first election was 1980. I voted for President Reagan. That was my first election. Wow. Uh, and in, uh, I guess, what 2006. I uh, registered as an independent. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm I, and I'm a registered independent. I'm an independent conservative. The older I get, the more uh, the more sort of libertarian I become, just because. Uh, and I I'm, and a lot of conservatives, I'm sure, feel this way. Uh, I think so because it, because the mainline GOP has just left me further and further behind. And now interested here, then, further and further to the left, so I'm, I'm, I'm an independent conservative. Definitely, definitely. So here's my question for you. And um, my question for you has to do with what if you were made president tomorrow, right? And you had the opportunity, you had the opportunity to repeal Obamacare. But if you were going to fully repeal Obamacare, that would entail getting people off of Medicaid. All of these people that were just put on to Medicaid, they're told you're going to get all of your health care paid for, etc. Could you do it? Could you take them off of Medicaid? Could you get, you know, un- unroll, unravel that entitlement program that's already been expanded? Uh, to the extent that uh, the people who have enrolled since healthcare.gov has been up and, uh, and and the exchanges have been up and running to the extent that those people can be mm-hmm. taken off with, you know, the full repeal where the repeal goes through Congress and gets voted on and gets sent to the president's desk to sign. If signing that, it takes all the new people off that have been on since the exchanges rolled out. Right. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, for sure. Uh, and then how, do you, how do you... I don't see a problem with that at all. How, and then so then when all the news stories come in the media and they say, oh, because you ripped this one off of Medicaid, that one's not going to get the health care and they're going to die of cancer and this one's going to do Because the stories will come if and when it happens. You could oh, have answers oh, sure. for them. What would it be? Uh, well, my, my answer would be uh, the law, if, if the law is repealed and I sign that bill, repealing it mm-hmm. uh, in terms of people not getting health care that's that's a myth you can get health care anywhere you want you can go to any hospital you can go to any ER in this country and get care it's against a law to turn people away oh, okay okay so then so th- that, but, that's but right that's, of, no that's that's definitely of, right in, yeah in terms of the catastrophic sort of care like cancer treatment or leukemia or surgery or something like that I'd say well since uh Obamacare has been repealed. Now, what is back in place are as 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 free as it was. Not totally free, since it's not overstated well, right. by and, insurance. And, then, then you have the market back in place where you can purchase insurance. And uh, and and again and again, health healthcare is a, it, it's not a, you don't have a right to healthcare. Healthcare is a service. Right. 
provided me, by practitioners. Let me let me push you let me push you a little bit further, okay? So really if you return to how the state, you know, status was before, people were dissatisfied with it and I think healthcare prices probably were made needlessly expensive and things because of stuff like what you described, the mandate that anybody can walk into any emergency room in the country and the emergency room is forced to give them care per the government. That was one of the reasons that, you know, they're pushing. And, you know, the principle that Ayn Rand always used to talk about is that controls breed further controls. When the government intervenes in the healthcare industry, which it started doing in the 1960s, if not before, actually it started doing it even before because they started tying health insurance to employers and giving tax deductions for it. So the government has been involved in the healthcare industry step by step by step for a long time. And the only way, really, I'm telling you this, Mike, it's true, and I don't know if you'd be willing to do it, the only way to stop the progression towards socialized medicine is to go back to the only other stable equilibrium, which is all the way back to a completely free market, which would get the government entirely out. And you'd have to be willing to say, you know, again, Mike, if I make you president tomorrow, I think in order to withstand the pressure to continually socialize and socialize our medical industry, you'd have to be willing to say that other people's health care is not your responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility that if people want to donate to private charity, which, they've always done. which people have always. always done, or if doctors, you know, I, I was talking with Bosch the other day and I was saying, I remember hearing about free clinics when I was a kid, right. go to the free clinic right. and get blah, blah, blah. I don't even hear people talking about free clinics. Now, is it because I'm not a teenager and free clinics were only were about birth control who, or something? Or? Who had the, you know, who had the means doctors and wanted to, to, to say, you know what, I want to do something on the side, just yeah. some charity, whatever. So, that, was, that was their Choice. But you, you'd have to actually, you know, I think in order to defeat socialized medicine for good, you'd have to be willing to say healthcare is not a right of a person. And you'd have to be willing to act accordingly and you'd have to be willing to withstand the huge blowback. And I just, I don't see any politician today that would want to do that. I mean, would you want to do that if you were the president, Mike? Uh, to go to... Uh, to go well, to that extreme, that extreme. Uh, yeah, I, I think... I think in over, just in terms of overall uh, overall economic uh, policy for the for the country, I think that would be fantastic to go just to to make it to make the uh, American economy in in every way possible as free as possible, as free from government as possible. And people always say, "Oh, well, we'll dirty air and dirty water." No, we won't. There are laws on the books that have been on the books for years for dirty air and dirty water and work safety and all that jazz and, 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 and to make sure workers are protected and taken care of and, and uh, people don't, and companies well, don't see, rip off see, people and, and, and poison. And, and here's the thing. This, this is what makes me such a radical, crazy extremist. All those, <laughs> re, all, all those, no, seriously, all those regulations that you're talking about, that the government mm-hmm. writes the whole, you know, I mean, there's volumes of the U.S. code out there talking about the, you know, the length of the mast on a ship or, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of weird regulations about the craziest things. And you just go pull a volume off the shelf and at random open it up and find something bizarre. You can't imagine what the government's regulating. I would get rid of all of that and I would have the idea that government 
its entire purpose is only to protect individual rights, which means protect you from an initiation of force. So if you're a, you know, you talk about employee safety, and suppose you talk about work conditions at a factory, and, and you're an employee, you're a pr- prospective employee. If you are going to go work at an auto manufacturer, for example, what you should do as a prospective employee is ask, how safe is this? What's the predominance of accidents? What types of accidents occur? Do you offer safety equipment? Are there safety devices on the machinery themselves and how do they work? Or, you know, you, it would be actually your responsibility as an adult to go and take care of yourself and figure this out. The other thing you could do is probably, I would say, if there was not a government that supposedly regulated worker safety, how, how great a job do you think the government does at regulating worker safety? Anyway, Mike, I'll ask you that question. But you know, oh, well, what, you, since since all the all the years I've been working for all the different companies I work for, uh, you know, and you go into like the break room or the office or whatever, you see all the all the OSHA placards that they make oh, you yeah. post in your in your workplace and uh-huh. uh and all and all the years uh i've worked i've worked since i was 16 years old uh i've seen zero well no wait i saw one i've seen one uh osha inspector come to a place where i worked and mm-hmm. that was and, and that was here in southern california only after uh, an earthquake, right? And, right. and where I worked, it looked like there were some cracks, maybe in a ceiling or something. Right. And they had to come out and make sure that uh, make sure that the building was was the integrity was sound that we could go in like the next week and continue working. And but, you said you said uh, yeah, few. The government that, guy came true. out. I mean, you know, some sometimes there's these government guys and they are, you know, earnest and they want to do their job and they want to keep you safe and everything else. But in a free market, what you would have is you would have competing either better homes and gardens type places or you've heard now of Angie's List. Angie's List Mm -hmm. is that company that will give you recommendations. for. So there'd be an equivalent Angie's List of how safe is it to work for XYZ employer and what type of accidents do they have on the job and everything else that would proliferate if we got rid of all those regulations. So I am such an extremist and you can call me crazy (laughs) or anything else that all those things that you talk about, those regulations I would get rid of. But let me, let me back up a little bit because when I asked you that difficult question and I, I agree, it's a very difficult question. It's very hard to, look at all of these media stories about the horrible suffering that's going to happen if you repeal Obamacare, right? And and to just say no in a morally righteous way that the right thing to do is to completely repeal Obamacare as, I think, a first step to getting the government completely out of medical care. That's hard to do. The first thing that you answered, you said how great it would be for the economy, right? And And that's an answer that you will typically hear from conservatives, you know, independent conservatives, everything else that, oh, yeah, it would be a great boon for the economy. And what I'm guessing is there's still a part of you who would say, well, yeah, it's good for the economy. Probably I'd still feel kind of guilty about it. And I would hope that things would go okay and would assuage. But I mean, would you, would you, you feel guilty about signing that repeal? Is that right? A little? 
I don't, I don't know if guilt's a proper word. Uh, there's, uh, I think, I think, I think trepidation may be a better word. Okay. Just because, just because you're, uh, I don't know, just because, just because a, as a decent person, I think doing something, doing something that drastic with just the stroke of my own pen is, uh, I think, it should give you pause. Uh, not not in a you know, not in a self doubting sort of way. Am I doing the right thing? But, well, I mean, but, think, think but, about but in a way to make you to yeah. make you think, uh, oh my God, this is huge. And 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 you know, it's kind of thing and, where you just uh, take a you what, take a second it, and you go, wow, I hope this really works. Was it because, was it Biden? Was it Biden or was it Reed or these other people who goes, this is a big effing deal Biden. when they got oh, yeah. Obamacare signed yeah. into legislation? Biden, right? He went he went full Biden. <laughs> I mean, imagine you know if you say, okay, well, it's a huge thing that you're doing by a stroke of a pen. Similarly, think of the huge thing that Obama was doing. Didn't he sign it with about fifty different pens that he auctioned off to all of his yeah. fans or some yeah. garbage, right? Well, but, yeah, because they're they're like really commemorative things that are. I would love to take used. all of those pens that he signed Obamacare into legislation with and put it in a big bonfire and just burn it. That would be me. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, I think that's right. I think that the, 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 the prevalent moral code that's out there, Mike, would make it so that you would feel, even though you think that Obama had no business putting this piece of legislation into play in the first place, that it should never have been signed into law, nonetheless, you'd feel a little bit bad about getting rid of it because there's a part of you that thinks, okay, we really do have some sort of a duty to help other people who are in need. And yeah, the government's going about it all the entirely wrong way. And, you know, Obama's violating the Constitution and he's overreaching here. He's, He's just going too far with it. Uh, but, you know, in the end, he's really trying to help people in need. And so that if I repeal this, I'm taking stuff that these people had away from them and, and they're in need. So I should feel maybe this a little bit bad. Have. But, I mean, well, think uh, well, about I, 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 No, that's not, that's not what I would think about what uh, President Obama did. I mean, I don't, I don't think he gives two rips about you or me or anybody else except himself. Right. Uh, and he, uh, this isn't some sort of grand scheme to like save the world or help those in genuine need or pain or something. And this is, uh, this is the, as you know, to borrow from Hayek, this is the road to serfdom. And, True. And this is this is the road to enslavement. And uh, it, it, it and is anybody and, and... anybody that doesn't see big government yeah. as the road to enslavement just doesn't know doesn't know the history of what governments become. Right. And, but, uh, so, but, but, then, but then my point, Mike, is that it's not just that big government is the road to enslavement. I would say that as soon as the government starts doing something that is not part of its proper function, as soon as government, mm-hmm. initi- as soon as government initiates force against us, that's the road to serfdom. Yeah, it's way early on the road to serfdom. Not everybody sees that we're on the way to serfdom the way that they see now. But I mm-hmm. think that e- even a whole bunch of people who are you know, fellow travelers with me, whatever that means, 
a lot of them would say, well, we've just gone too far. You know, we're just going to roll it back a bit. You know, let's roll it back to whatever the government had involvement in the 1960s in the medical industry. And I would say, no, we need to roll it back to whatever was going on before 1890. That's a pretty safe date for mm-hmm. most of the government interventions in the economy. If you go pre-1890, you're, right. you're, you're, you're pretty safe. And, and, and here, and, well, no, but, and, and it sounds crazy, but, but here, here's why, if you think about it. Our founding fathers said we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness, right? And the pursuit of happiness doesn't mean you're supposed to pursue your neighbor's happiness. True. Right? Who, whose happiness True. do you have the freedom to pursue? You have the freedom to pursue your own happiness. Yeah. And, you know, to the extent that you have a duty to other people, and especially a duty that the government is going to force you to comply with, you don't have the right to pursue your own happiness. I, I think the True. only the only kind of system that is consistent with the founding fathers' idea, even if they didn't fully recognize it, right? Even if they didn't fully recognize it, I think the only kind of system that is consistent with the idea that you have the moral right, you are perfectly justified in pursuing your own individual happiness, not your neighbor's happiness, yours, that is a free market, a completely free market that where the government performs functions of police, court, military, protects you from any initiation of force, protects you from fraud. You know, So if you go to work for a company and they say, oh, we have this great safety record and they totally lied and you got injured, sue them up the wazoo. Or if they're negligent, you know, all the normal stuff, you can you know, recover against these companies. But the government should not come in and say in advance of a proved wrongdoing, oh, well, this is how you're going to conduct your job, and this is how you're going to conduct your job. Because once you start that, where do you draw the line? Where in the world can you principally draw the line? You and I might have a different taste of, well, I'd like to help out these people but not help out those people. It's all subjective at that point, and it is – as the people in economics say, also an unstable equilibrium that, you know, as soon as the government gets involved in healthcare, healthcare gets more expensive yeah, and, then, and the push for yeah. more and more controls. And also, and also that kind of government attracts more corrupt people. You know what I mean, it's less virtuous by the year. I mean, you get the, the, the scum of the earth basically go, go to Washington from there on. And that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is what I talk about when I say, okay, we actually do need, a moral and political revolution in this country before we can even hope to implement something like, you know, Mark Levin, which I think he's got the best practical program out there for getting the rats out of Washington. I don't know of any other, any better practical program that's been, you know, thrown yeah. out there as an idea. Even that can't happen until the majority of people are pretty clear on what the ultimate goal is, because you'll lose the moral yeah, certitude. Well, one thing also, something like that starting, let's just say it starts, they make some moves, people start getting a little inspired by that. I mean, people start thinking about, like, wait a minute, we can actually change things. That can go hand in yeah. hand. Oh, I mean, yeah. It can go hand in hand, because yeah. then they're inspired, like, wait a minute, we can actually change things to people with the state legislators that can actually do something. Then it starts to get. Then it starts to get a, a real fight back, a serious one. But so, so Mike, you know, I kind of see someone, someone like you, as someone who would be similar to a Ted Cruz, you know. And and, and Ted Cruz, I see as probably the most promising oh, conservative yeah. politician that we have in Washington right now. Oh, and yet we part ways in some issues and in some, you know, issues here and there. And I'm concerned that if push comes to shove and he actually gets the opportunity. Suppose he becomes President Cruz in 2016 and he has the opportunity to repeal 
Obamacare, full he's repeal, the only as one. he keeps saying. No, he's the only one, I think, who would do it. He's I think the he's the only one, one who would do who it. Actually but would but do could it. he morally defend what he's doing? Hopefully. Even all, well, you know, with all this a, increase well, in... A, I think that would take, uh, well, see, uh, someone, someone like yourself, Amy, who is, who is really, who is quite well-versed in the, uh, some of the philosophical underpinnings of what, uh, of what being, being a free citizen in America means and what it takes from the, from the standpoint of the citizen himself in terms of taking responsibility and taking action uh, is far better equipped to, to answer that kind of question in terms of uh, we repeal it, why are you doing it? Yeah. Right. Uh, right. What, why did you do this? Oh, my God, these people don't have A, B, and C, and it's all your fault. Why mm-hmm. did you do it? Right. You're far more qualified to answer that than someone like me. Uh, even though I'm, and, and, and because of you, and I just have to say this, not to schmooze, but it's true, uh, because of you and because of your own and because of uh, Bosch and uh, Robert Spencer's another, uh, I have become a fan of Ayn Rand all over again. Mm-hmm. Because I, was a, I became a fan when I was a, a high school, college age. And, right. uh, and read read the Fountainhead, and thought yeah. this is the coolest thing ever. Uh, <laughs> and then I just, not that it's all out of favor, but you just move to other things and you live your life, and and, and you become mm-hmm. uh, uh, involved or fascinated with other, other things. But when when the uh, when the Atlas the Atlas Shrugged Part One first came out, the movie Part One came out. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! I, this is uh, this is cool. Maybe I should look at this again. And then I found uh, I found you on Twitter, and I found uh, the Ayn Rand bot, which is awesome on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> I love that. Thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. Uh, and it just started me reading some of Rand again, and I uh, downloaded to my iPhone one of the first books I got for my iPhone in iBooks was Anthem. Right. Yeah. And I think that I think that should be required reading in every school in the country. Every oh, yeah. school every school child should read Anthem. Somehow, somehow uh, I think Anthem is not in the common core. Yeah. I mean well, that, that's a whole nother, that's another another topic for another day, right? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But uh, but I I just had to say that because because of you guys that I'm uh discovering Rand again and uh trying to converse myself with, with uh, the, the depth of her philosophy, which is very intricate and takes a lot of reading and a lot of rereading. Right. Uh, but, it's, but it's interesting because to hear, uh, to hear a truly moral argument for human freedom and liberty is, one, it's uh, refreshing, and two, you realize that no one makes it. Right. And that and that's the that's the problem. I mean, without a moral argument, the predominant morality of the culture is always going to push us towards statism. It's yeah. always going to do oh, it. And thing. and so we need to have more people armed with the moral argument. And in, yeah. you know, the, I think a lot of people, you know, a, a Ted Cruz or anybody else who's 
maybe religious in their own personal life. They nonetheless, I think, need to have these secular arguments provided by Rand in order to defend individual rights against the status. I don't see any other way. You, yeah. know, you can't just you, you can't just say, oh, well, rights, why? Because I have faith. That's not an argument, and we need arguments today no. in order to defeat these thugs. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah. no, the, the, the argument, why do I have these rights? I have them because they're mine. They're right. mine. I was born with these rights. I'm a free human being. I have these rights. The Constitution doesn't give them to me. The Constitution protects them. Right, and and right, and right, and gives government the job. Well, and, 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 yeah, the government just has the job of protecting them. The rights are ours in virtue of the type of the beings that we are and what is necessary for us to take actions to survive. We cannot engage in productive activity unless our minds are left free. And the only way our minds will be left free is if we are free from the initiation of force. Every time government forces me to do something, it stops me from thinking to that extent, you know. And, and that's yeah. the thing. No, like, no, I, I do have another call, so I do have to let you go. But I have to, before I let you go, I have to thank you mm. because basically you're telling me that the things that I've been doing here on this show and with the bot and everything for the last couple of years have had an effect on people more than just the fellow traveler objectivists, you know, who already liked Ayn Rand or whatever. And, of course, I, I want to talk to people who are objectivists like me because I think that having a show like this where we analyze issues from the perspective of our philosophy, where we can vent from our perspective, you know, all those kinds of things yeah. are good too. But in terms of trying to reach a, hard, a broader audience, which, which is hard, you know, everybody kind of talks to their own little enclaves. You're, you're mm-hmm. telling me basically that, you know, whereas you did have some sympathy for Rand's ideas when you were young, you kind of grown away from that and come back in part. I I thank you for that. I mean, it really yeah. makes me feel like I'm, you know, doing something that's that's worthwhile. I should keep going. So I appreciate it. You, well, you you should. And uh, Bosch, I just I just love what you do. And uh, uh, I uh, money is even small money is kind of tight for me right now, but. Uh, Every time I go on your site, Bosch, it's like I see uh, Pigman there, and I say, "Oh God, I got to get Pigman." And I did, I, I did buy, I did buy Table for One through Amazon, cool. right? And that's that's dynamite. That Thanks, is man. really, really cool. Thank uh, you. I lo- I love that it's in black and white. Yeah. Because not a lot of comics are anymore, but it's still no, so that, expressive. That, that that perfectly just fit the story. Perfectly fit story. I mean, I could have done a color, but I said this works in black and white. You know, period. The, the nature does, of it really does. Yeah. And uh, I, I loved it. And, yeah, both of you guys keep doing what you're doing. It makes a difference. I swear to God it does. Thanks and, a lot. Uh, Thanks. I really and, 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 and just uh, to borrow a phrase from Tammy Bruce that I just love uh, about, about how to live and how we should live, is to live the life that best suits you, yeah. whatever that is within the law. As long as, as you're an individual. anybody else from breaking the law, damn right, as an individual. Yep. And, uh, and, and and that's what it's all about. And people who think that losing a piece of that for something else is good, they need to be uh, not shouted down, but they need to be talked to in a serious uh, intellectual way and get them to realize that this stuff's not for sale. Exactly. Absolutely. And, uh, exactly. Well put. Well put. And, uh, so just, just uh, keep it up. And a whole bunch of us out here think you guys are doing a great job. I know I do. 
I appreciate and it so I much. And, Great call, Mike. Uh, Thank you. But thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Just before we go on to the next caller, which I'm going to get in one second, let me give you a little bit of advice on this topic of health. And this is one thing that Tammy Bruce does too, which I think is good, is she gives health advice to her listeners because she wants them to remain healthy even under the Obamacare regime. And there's just a little story. You go read it for yourself. It was from PJ originally, PJ Media. Should you eat lots of nuts? I just ate a box full. A box. (laughs) And the study says that among tons of people, they tracked all these people over a couple decades or something. It was a long-term study with a lot of people that people who ate a significant number of nuts per day basically daily basis basically, on a grazing only basis. Nuts, that's it, right? <laughs> they those people were twenty percent less likely to die nuts? during the study interval than the all the was, other people. I was talking about the yeah. fair was the old day. Uh, fish, nuts, yeah. uh, fruits, vegetables, you know, and that's people can live to be if they're healthy. I mean if they're you know they can live to be very old. Yeah, and do, you know, don't overdo it, but Go ahead and eat some more nuts. My particular favorite, if you like macadamias, yeah. is the Royal Hawaiian macadamias. And Those also the uh, the um, pistachios. What's what's the go oh, nuts? The go nuts. Everybody's nuts. Everybody's, everybody's nuts. nuts. Everybody's yeah, nuts. Pistachios, delicious. More the salt and pepper. Let's let's go ahead and grab another caller here. See who this is. Hi, who's this? Uh, hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Who's this? Hello. Uh, this hi. is Harold. I called in about two years ago kind of religiously listened every every week, even though I haven't commented for a while. Um, I, I made comments about pro-nuclear power a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, right. uh, I'm calling on a specific subject. It's a big subject, but I'm going to summarize very briefly. I'm just going to, uh, before I go there, just on the nutrition issue, um, yeah, nuts, it's, it's called gomes, greens, onions, mushrooms, beans, seeds, berries. That's the stuff that will keep you alive to 100. So that's, that's all I have to say on nutrition. Um, my idea is that we transition to a pure capitalist economy where all goods and services are provided privately and the government does its basic functions. And the government gets its money through a federal sales tax. But the question is, how do you get then, how do you allay all the criticisms you're going to get from the left about what's going to happen to the poor? So what right. I suggest is what, what I nickname capitalist welfare state. That's the transition phase. And what I suggest during that transition period is that all goods and services be provided privately. The government uh, gets rid of the income tax and they replace it with whatever federal income tax, 15%, 20%, whatever covers the budget, and that poor people can get uh, like a a charity check from the government. They get like $25,000 a person, maybe two maximum per household. Wasn't this, uh, this, this was something that was put out, I think, as a suggestion by Reason Magazine recently as well, right? Just uh, give everybody a subsidy? Yeah, I just kind of came up with this. I've been thinking about this for a while, so I have all kinds of things figured out already. But you'd say, well, how do people get out of it? What if they just relax and sit in the safety net all day and don't bother getting up and doing anything? The thing is, People who receive that check have to file the tax return. Nobody else does, only the people receiving the welfare. And they get to work, and they lose $1 in welfare for every $2 they make. So in other words, they can work their way out of it. So by the time they get to $50,000 in private income, they, at that point they completely lose their welfare check. But at that point they have double the disposable sure. income. I mean, I would, I would say this definitely sounds like a viable transition plan. That's great. And then the question is, could we get somebody 
any any of the better politicians today to get even close to your ideal transition plan. I, I don't even know that any of the better politicians today would be happy to go for that. I think they'd still want some of the regulations, maybe a little bit of a progressive income tax, you know, the different types of things. But I, I think it's a viable transition plan. Well, what this does is totally eliminates the power of the politicians. By giving people cash, the government doesn't right. actually provide the goods and services, doesn't manage them. All it does yeah. is give a charity check to people, and it's hands-off. So it's, it's basically the free market with a little yeah. charity. That, that's all it is. Yeah, no, I mean, and as, the as, whole idea, as, a, as a transition, it sounds good. And uh, people who are lazy will just hang out in the welfare net and go nowhere. But if they get bored and they want to do something, there's nothing stopping them moving forward. There will be no penalty. Eventually they'll lose it, but it will be a very slow loss in that charity. And they can at least buy their luxury goods and whatever, but they'll have to go and work for those. They'll get the basics, but nothing more. Sound, sounds like a good plan. Harold, thanks for calling in. I'm going to have to let you go because okay. we have only a few minutes left of the show, but that does sound like a viable transition plan as something that you would actually advocate as a long-term solution well, for the, anything? The no. Because, jump, yeah, yeah. It jumps out no. like, oh, no. And I, I understand that someone at Reason Magazine was actually advocating that as a long-term yes. viable alternative to where we are. As, as a transition plan, okay, uh, maybe that's one of the many. It sounds perfectly reasonable. It sounds, And the welfare state but, overnight. But, you it. know, the, the, the whole idea of, of is that any kind of a stable equilibrium that wouldn't push you towards more of the charity, yes, it, exactly it, right. would, it would be hard to, no, to not have gets, that. You know, but it, it sounded good, ideally. Charity let's, begets charity begets let's, the, let's get through some of this because I had such a nice conversation with Mike that oh, I'm that a little great. bit behind on the stories that I wanted to get through today. Great call, Mike. I want to talk about the fast food strikes just a little bit, and everybody out there has said a lot of good stuff about this, like, for instance, the strike is an invitation for either these particular people to be fired and other people to be hired, or these you know people to be fired and for the fast food industry to automate more. I understand that McDonald's ordered a whole bunch of new machines that would have automatic machine ordering instead of the people that you talk to and stuff. It kind of takes away from the atmosphere, but if that's what's required because you've got these people striking and asking for 15 an hour, okay, fine. But the interesting thing is that I was looking after, you know, they say, oh, you know, fast food strike on Thursday. It's going to be in 100 cities. And I found a lot of news stories that said that. And then I found almost no news stories that did the follow-up, like what was the actual turnout for these strikes? So I have under the first story, you know, fast food strikes return amid push for wage hikes. The second one is the the second one is fast food workers strike for higher wages across the U.S. Thursday, and this is literally the only follow-up story I could find in my brief little research. Okay, and it's from a uh, website called theprovince.com. I don't even know where the province.com is. I gather it's, it's reporting from New York, so maybe it's somewhere in the state of New York. It says, fast food workers across the country, they marched and waved signs and chanted. Uh, organizers say that they planned to forego work in 100 cities with rallies set for another 100 cities. But by late afternoon, <laughs> it was unclear what the actual turnout was or how many of the participants were workers. Wow. At the targeted restaurants, the disruptions seemed minimal or temporary. And I'll stop there and I'll just laugh. But, you know, if these people did strike, they would, you know, morally be at the risk of losing their job. They should lose their job. I should say one thing about Nelson Mandela, please. One thing. 
But, okay? I, but, but I'm, I, I, I still have a few more Nelson stories. Nelson Mandela was the greatest man who ever lived. And uh, what? Islam means peace. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I'm, I'm still on the topic oh, of the strikers. Oh, anyway, an attitude completely different from that, the exact opposite of the so-called fast food strikers. And again, that article called into question whether a lot of the people who were participating in the protests were even actual strikers in the first place, actual workers. <sighs> awesome update I have at the IJ Review. 11-year-old girl who was told to beg instead of selling mistletoe tells it like it is. Go to that link watch the video literally brought my brought tears to my eyes am awesome. i a sap or what i'm a sap but it, she, it'll probably get me too she, i gotta watch it she she talks about what made her mad about being told that she should beg instead of selling mistletoe in portland she oh, wanted to thing. she wanted to subsidize her braces by selling mistletoe and she said what made me so mad was that he said i could beg but i couldn't work hard and sell mm. And she says, what does society come to teaching these kids that it's okay to beg instead of working hard and sell? And she's 11 years old, very composed on the Megyn Kelly show. And she says in in response to would she take donations, she said, no, I'd rather have them buy, buy the mistletoe because I'm all into buying and giving back something for the money. And then... When Kelly said, you know, you know, uh, that to her, she said, well, she'd rather work and sell a product than receive donations. She said, well, of course, that's what I believe in, work ethic. So you put one of those strikers, so-called fast food strikers, <laughs> right. next to this girl and, and see who wins. She shows them up. That's awesome. The other story about the millennials and Obamacare, definitely go look at that. The millennials, which is defined, I guess, as the 18 to 29 people or the 18 to yeah, 18 to 29 or so, I They're guess. They're sick is what of they, this guy. Coming of age over the turn of the century is the millennials, I guess. He's, so old, the, he's the, old news enough. There's a, there's a poll from Harvard University's Institute of Politics that says that a majority of Americans under the age of 25, the youngest of the millennials, would favor throwing Obama out of office. And this is also the place, again, go back to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, check out the program notes. If you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see this link about the millennials abandoning Obama and Obamacare. It says that only a third of these millennials actually planned to enroll in health insurance. It says among the 18 to 29 year olds currently without health insurance, less than one third say Mm. that they're likely to enroll in the Obamacare exchanges. According to the poll, it says 57% of them disapprove of Obamacare with 40% saying that it will worsen their quality of care. And a, a majority of them believe it will drive up costs. Now, if 40, only 40% say it's going to worsen their quality of care, they probably didn't even have health care, a lot yes, of them, before. Yes. They're so young. Exactly. I mean, they don't worry about it. So They're just, they're, they're just tired of them. I mean, they, yeah. He's not cool anymore to them, which is good. Yep. Now, another encouraging statistic is that the old, while the oldest millennials, the Democrats among them, um, hold a 16-point lead over the GOP, but with the youngest, the 18 to 24 millennial gap, it's just six points. Hmm. 31% for Democrats, 25% for Republicans is what it says. Uh, so I think that there's some encouraging statistics, not only about an 11-year-old girl, but about a bunch of the millennials in general. The scariest story, and I'm sorry to leave it towards the end here because we're going to have to go pretty quick. Check, check, check out the IRS. IRS is floating rule changes 
about what organizations can do to educate people in you know, advance of the 2014 elections. We'll have to take that up next week because that affects free speech, which is a huge deal. The final story that I have there on the list at DontLetItGo.com is Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz has been speaking about Obama disregarding the law of Obamacare, rewriting the law according to his whim. And he has used the following terminology. He says that Obama disregards the law like they do in dictatorial yeah. societies. Yes. Them slight words. So that's great. Now, yeah. Ted Cruz recently came out in favor of Rawls, and he also was uh, commem- you know, commendatory of uh, Mandela. So we'll have to talk about him he's another time. He's a politician, time. but he's the best we got still. We've got just a few seconds left, and we have to go. Please go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com if you want to make a comment on today's show. Most importantly, if you do like this show, Spread the word among your friends. Share, 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 because this show is primarily spread by word of mouth. My mouth is only so big. So thank you, everyone. Yeah, check out News Sandwich, everyone. Take care. Have a good weekend.